but we thank God for the praise team and the wonderful work the instrumentalists did today. Thank you for leading us in worship, Brother Tim. What a great day in the house of the Lord. And I want to add my word of welcome to that which is already given this morning to say thank you for those who are here. And we have first-time guests with us today for which we're always very grateful. And uh, we have people listening over the Internet. From time to time, I give a shout-out to people. Last Sunday, I think, I gave a shout-out to people in Washington State who are listening, Fort Worth. And someone mentioned this morning that Nikki and Jacob are listening from Dallas, Texas. So welcome, Nikki and Jacob from Dallas, Texas. And we have people listening all over, and we're grateful for that. Also today, pastor friend of mine, Brother George, is here, and his new wife, Brandy. And we welcome them today. Pastor George, a friend of mine from 100 years ago in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, I was young then. He wasn't. He, he looks the same as always. But just teasing, he's pastor out in Hepzibah, I believe, or somewhere out in the Odea. And uh, anybody that's in Augusta, Georgia this week gets out as best they can because it's Master's Week and uh, everybody gets out if, if you can. But uh, we welcome Pastor George. I did his wedding, their wedding. When was that? It was, yeah, it wasn't Christmas Eve, honey. It was New Year's Eve. Brandy, we're getting a little mixed up. And uh, that's all right. That's okay. I did their wedding uh, right here on New Year's Eve, and it was a sweet, sweet time. We welcomed them. But I'm glad all of you are here, and guests and regular attenders, visitors, members, whomever you might be, so glad you're here today. I want to begin today by referencing a song, which is my favorite. Does that surprise you? Go ahead and laugh if you wish. Yes, I have a favorite song, and unfortunately, this one's not a Christian song. Now, my granddaughter, who I've invited to sing at four years of age, keeps wanting to come and sing a rainbow song. And I keep telling her, honey, we can't sing that one. It's not about Jesus. Which, if she were uh, five or six, she would probably say, but wait a minute, Papa, that song you're talking about is not about Jesus either. But it's a song I love. And it's a song I've taught to all my grandchildren. And they can all sing it over and over and do with me. Even those that are now teenagers are doing what my daughters did when I sang it to them and made them sing it every day. And they are now rolling their eyes at me like my daughters did. But it's a song that I love. And so I would take my daughters to school every day. And we would sing this song every day whether they wanted to sing it or not. And to be honest with you, I still sing it to my oldest daughter today at her graveside on her birthday and whenever I go visit her. But it's an old song written in the early 30s of the last century. And it's simply this one. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. I dramatized the end a little bit, and we kind of go into a big vibrato and down, but thought I'd do it normal for you today. I believe Easter was God's way of saying, I'm not going to take your sunshine away. I'm not going to take your sunshine away. 
I'm going to stay with you through the power and the presence of God, through the powerful reality of the resurrection. That's what God is saying to us today. It's God's constant assurance of His power and His presence. Resurrection, as Tim said, is not something we celebrate one time a year. So we're going to celebrate Easter again today because the passage from which we read tells us the powerful continuing story of Mary Magdalene's experience at the garden tomb. So I want you to turn with me as we see the power of the resurrection as God keeps this sunshine in our lives. John 20 beginning with verse 11 going through verse 18. John 20 beginning with verse 11 going through verse 18. It's a powerful passage. Now just remember last week we studied Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb, Peter and John. Which was the faster runner between John and Peter? John beat him good. And Peter came running in at the last minute. But we studied that. We come back to it as we see continuing what happened in verse 11. The Bible says, But Mary stood outside facing the tomb, weeping. And as she was crying, she stopped to look into the tomb. She saw, some versions say men, but correct, two angels in white sitting there, one at the head, one at the feet, where Jesus' body had been lying. They said to her, Woman, I think King James says, Why weepest thou? Why are you crying? Why are you weeping, woman? Because they have taken my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Though she did not know, it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? We'll come back to why he said it that way. Supposing he was the gardener. She replied, Sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said, what? Mary. Isn't that powerful? Turning around. She said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus replied, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to the brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God, and Mary to your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have, say it that out loud with me, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And she told them, what he said to her. My friends, that is so powerful. Last week we saw Mary Magdalene as she came to the tomb to begin or to really to continue the preparation of the body. We saw her time of doubt and despair. We saw her faith begin to dawn to a new awareness. But now we see the sunshine. We see the light of Christ's resurrection fully become reality to her. And so, don't take my sunshine away. The sunshine comes to Mary Magdalene this moment. 
So look there with me. First, we see there was bright light of faith in verse 11 through 18. Let's look at it and see. Why did Mary go to the tomb? Remember, because she loved Jesus. Remember, we talked about it last week. Here was a woman that no one would have picked out of a lineup to say that's the first one Jesus would reveal himself to. She was a broken, lost person in many ways before Christ found her. And yet she was the first to witness the resurrected Christ. God does things differently than we would do things. But why did she go to the tomb in the first place? She loved him. She loved him. And she wanted to do everything she could to minister to him. Now Mary still thought at this point Jesus was still dead. Didn't matter. She loved him. She knew the power he had had in her life. She knew he had set her free. She was aware of the change in her life since she met Christ. She knew it was true. But at this point, she thinks he is dead. She's weeping. I mean, she's weeping. Now, the weeping that is referred to here is not just a, a wee whimper. And if you've ever, you probably haven't, but have you ever even seen a Semitic funeral? And I'm talking about Jewish and even Arab. The women know how to cry. And I mean, they will, they're loud. Uh, it became so much that if you didn't have, if you were rich enough and you thought there wasn't going to anybody be really to cry for you when you died, you could hire professional mourners who would really let it go. Now, they may not have known you, but they knew how to cry. And she is weeping. I mean, she is weeping. In 21st century language, we would say she knew how to ugly cry. You know what I'm talking about? It's just a serious weeping. She is so distraught because she gets there and she thinks someone has taken his body. And she keeps asking everybody, she comes to contact, what did you do with him? And then she even says to Jesus before she recognized him, if you'll tell me where he is, I'll, get, I'll take care of it. Like she's going to be able to carry Jesus by herself. She was going to do it. I believe she would have. Well, sometimes crying is good therapy, isn't it? You ever just needed a good cry? Well, it can relax you. That's exactly right. Sometimes we just need a good cry. And men, you can cry too. Do you know that? I told you before, I'm a crier. I can't help it. You think that makes me less of a man? I'll take you out and whip you. You think I'm teasing? I'm not. Sometimes just a good cry is what we need. Well, the sorrow of a Christian should, should be different, though, shouldn't it? Because the Bible says we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but we grieve as those who have a living hope. And when you lose someone that's close to you, even if you know where they are at the moment, you're not weeping because they're lost. You're weeping because you missed them. You're weeping simply because they're gone and you miss them beside you. Well, Mary looks into the sepulcher and she sees two men that we know are angels. And one is at the head sitting and one is at the feet sitting where Jesus had been laid. There was a a, a, a rock shelf in there that the body would have been laid upon. And she begins to ask him, what, what, what did you do with him? Where is he? I need to know where he is. 
neither that brief conversation nor any explanation quieted her mind. She is still distraught, but she's still determined to find the body of Jesus. Now here's the question. Why did she not recognize Jesus? Well, I don't know. You know, I always tell you, I always have an answer for any question you're going to ask me, but sometimes it's I don't know. But I'll tell you what might have happened. Some say that Jesus... Uh, purposefully disguised himself spiritually from her. It happened at a later time on the road to Emmaus, so that maybe that he supernaturally kept her from recognizing him at first. But I think it could have been something else. First of all, or no, second of all, it was dark. But third of all, and primarily, this woman is weeping with such passion she could not see well. And the fourth thing is, she didn't expect to see him alive. So she is shocked, she's crying, it's dark, and here he is. But he asked the same thing that was asked by the two angelic men, preachers, persons. He said, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord and I want to know where he is. And Jesus asked her the same thing. Who are you seeking it's almost as if he wanted to verbalize her deep despair. But Jesus did not rebuke her. He could have said, wait a minute, why are you looking for Jesus? Didn't he tell you he was going to rise up from the dead? Didn't he tell you that when the temple was destroyed, it would be risen in three days? Didn't you know, Mary, that I was talking about me? He could have rebuked her, but he didn't. All he did was say her name. Isn't that beautiful? He called out, Mary, Mary, and immediately she recognized him. Immediately the recognition occurred, and she knew, here he is. And she called him in Hebrew, Rabboni. Now, not at that time in Judaism, but later, there would be three terms for a rabbi. Rab, Rabbi, and Rabboni, which was the highest level of teacher. Now that was not at this time, it was later. But it's interesting, she calls him Rabboni, which would be the highest level of teacher. She calls him Master, my teacher, and she grasped his feet, or grasped him. It really here does not say his feet, does it? She grabbed him. Now, have you ever had a platonic hug that was so powerful that you felt like the person just didn't want to ever let you go. Now that's a cleansing, powerful hug. It'll just touch your heart. And that's what Mary was doing. She grabbed him and she did not want to let him go. Some people say, well, why did he say, don't cling to me? Was he being mean to her? Oh, no. He was not being harsh. He was not being cruel. First of all, he wanted her to know, honey, I'm going to see you again. In fact, I'm going to go meet with the disciples and you'll be there in Galilee. Don't you worry. This is not the last time you're going to see me. So you don't need to hug, and hug the breath out of me. You, you just need to calm down. I'm going to see you again. But also and primarily, she had a job to do. She had a role to play. Here's this woman that none of us would have chosen, but she had a job to do. 
So it would have been selfish and it would have been disobedient for Mary to have stayed there and to have kept clinging to him and holding him and hugging him so tight because she had a job to do. And she arose and went to do the job that Jesus told her to do. And that was to give a message to the disciples. And she went back and you know what she said? I have seen the Lord. And my friends, no greater testimony has ever been given by anybody since the beginning of time. I have seen the Lord. You see, unbelief has a terribly deadening effect on a person. But here she sees and knows the resurrected Lord. Nothing more powerful. And oh, what a need we have in our world today for people to know the powerful resurrected Lord. Not everyone does. I got irritated this week. Now, I know you think that's probably unusual for you, Pastor Frank, isn't it? You're so meek and mild and so easygoing. It's so hard for you to get irritated. Now, I know I've told you Dale says my spiritual gift is irritating other people. But on rare occasions, I can get irritated too. Do you know how much our world needs the Lord? Show the next slide, Ashley, would you, honey? This comes from the newest senator in Georgia, Reverend Raphael Warnock. This was a tweet he sent out last week. Can you read it? It says, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Irritation? Oh yeah. That's nothing but pure heresy. Pure heresy. Through a commitment to help others, we're able to save ourselves. Now friends, I believe in helping people. I believe in helping people. Because it's what Jesus wants me to do. But I don't do it to save my soul. The only thing that can save your soul is not a list or litany of doing good deeds. It's a born-again relationship with the Son of God who is risen from the dead. Somebody say amen. amen. So Reverend Warnock, I don't know what seminary you went to or what's happened in your life, but somebody needs to share Christ with you. The resurrected Christ with you. Second, let's see what else happened in Mary Magdalene's life. Second, we see the need for faith's dawning in us. Just as the disciples who came along after Mary had gone back home at this point, they experienced the dawning of faith also. My point simply is this, friends. It needs to occur in us. It's not enough just for it to happen to someone else. It needs to occur in us. I was talking with someone about it this week. You see, historical faith says Christ lives. Historical faith says Christ lives. And it's good to get to that point. To where you believe in the historical validity of the resurrection of Christ. But you'll still die and go to hell. As an illuminated, smart person. Historical faith says Christ lives. Saving faith says Christ lives in me. 
Saving faith says Christ lives in me. And I ask you simply this morning, what kind of faith do you have? Intellectual faith is good, but it is not that which we need to experience the victory that we're talking about this morning. If you really want sunshine in your soul, it will come through a faith relationship with a resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. When faith dawns in us, we will do the same thing Mary Magdalene did. We will worship the Lord. And I didn't ask you if you've come to a worship service today. I ask you, do you worship personally, spiritually, deeply, intimately the Lord Himself? In your heart, are you bowing down to Him? Faith should live in us. But one last thing. Something else it does to us that did to Mary. Faith also makes us involved in sharing with others. Yes, we remember it would not be many days from hence that Jesus would gather his disciples. It's recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 1 where he said, But you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But Mary begins to example that as she goes back to the disciples and using those four words that we've already said, I have seen the Lord. But we must ask ourselves, why is our faith so weak that we're hesitant to share with anyone else? Why is our faith so uh, just absolutely anemic that we are afraid? Why we allow the cares and concerns of our culture to impinge upon this burning love that we should want to share that we have seen the Lord. It's my prayer that God's sunshine, victory, and power will come upon us today and we'll want to tell somebody about Christ. We'll want to tell somebody I have seen the Lord. But before you can get to that point, you've got to have that personal experience yourself. And you've got to hear Jesus calling your name just like he called Mary's name. And then the scales of unbelief will fall. And you'll say, I could have seen the Lord. But it first must happen in you. You must hear him in your heart calling your name. And it becomes a personal thing. A faith walk in him. Do you hear him calling your name? Do you sense him speaking to you even today? I pray the answer is yes. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray right now for Reverend Raphael Warnock. I pray he would come to faith in you. And understand, Lord, the way to salvation is not through social ministry. It's through a ministry of personal relationship. I pray for every man, woman, girl, boy and girl in this place that, God, we all might come to know you and hear you call our name. And soon, Lord, begin to walk in you so strong and powerful that we will be the witnesses that Mary Magdalene became. Father, I pray that in Jesus' powerful, precious name. Amen.